and welcome to Darker Days Radio, Darkling number 44. And this is a Darkling episode, so we're doing something that's not World of Darkness, but I can guarantee is horror uh, related. So uh, for this episode, I am joined by James. Hello. And of course, I am one of your regular hosts, Chris. And uh, James, um, we have a very special guest with us tonight. Uh, We have, (laughs) of course, uh, we have Adam Poots from Kingdom Death. So welcome, Adam. Thank you for taking the time to come talk to us. Thank you very much for having me. I am a huge fan of the lovely models you post online. (laughs) Thank you. I'm also a huge fan of your hair. I really want it. (laughs) <laughs> and has shown me photos i am jelly <laughs> much um i well you know we wouldn't i wouldn't be doing the beast of war videos if the game hadn't existed so that kind of and i wouldn't be i wouldn't have the game if i didn't piggyback uh james's pledge because i was a bit short of money at the time and back in the day when you open up the pledge manager i was like finally finally and then <laughs> Here we are, bunch of a uh, bunch of guys just playing the game as much as we can, or painting as many of the models. Um, so let's briefly explain. Well, no, let's let's first of all let's keep with the um, the typical frame of the of the episodes that we always do. So James, hi there. What what have you been doing gaming recently? Um, just so, to get back into things. Yeah, recently I've been playing the decidedly not horrory. Uh, King, not Kingdom Death? No. <laughs> um, uh, Monster Hunter Stories. Um, ah, right, okay. It's all monsters at the moment, but it's it's more of a Pokemon kind of thing where you collect them and send them after things. I mean, you know, there's uh, there's some pretty creep. There are a couple of really creepy monsters in Monster Hunter. You've got a you've got the wonderful Kezu, which is just a big rubbery kind of or um, one of my right. favorites. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Giginox, which is a like a giant flying flatworm thing that lays egg sacs on its back that burst into hosts of swarmy maggoty things. Um, so yeah, you know, there's there's a bit of creepy there. There's a bit of creepy. Um, nice. But yeah, okay. uh, enjoying that. Um, um, let's think. I've been painting a fair bit. I um, and I've been doing some demos of War Machine Hordes, and uh, I recently finished playing my a playthrough again of uh, Silent Hill 2. Because oh, fantastic. Oh, wow. It's awesome. It still is awesome. Uh, I think the horror still holds up, um, and it just gets your brain working again for other things. So it was nice to just play through it. And again, as a computer game, it doesn't take that long to play through at all, which by some some games today... I don't know, either they, they're very short and the content feels very lackluster, or they're very long for the sake of being very, very long and not really have much more in there. So, Adam, uh, what kind of gaming do you do? Kind of What other things do you sample just to kind of break away from the design process and dealing with Kickstarters and stuff? I got about halfway through Breath of the Wild. And then uh, Asher, my son, got really into Mario Kart. So now I just play the same Mario Kart level over and over again. <laughs> it's Moo Moo Meadows at 50cc with Dark Blue Yoshi only, exclusively. Right. Repeat. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I've gotten really good at that that stage. Um, but I, you know, 
recently I haven't been doing that much gaming because I kind of got back into painting for the first time in I don't oh know, wow okay a very long time and I uh, I grabbed a new airbrush a mm -hmm. uh, what's the name of the company the Harder and Steinbeck Infinity oh nice okay two in one yeah. I recently got the um, evolution, so I upgraded from my uh, uh, from my my Chinese no brand. Yeah, the you know. the brand that I had, which was an incredibly sweet gift from Anna, like I don't know, again, like maybe eight years ago, longer maybe. Jeez, um, was an Air Pro Tools, and that doesn't exist anymore. Oh wow! So okay. I you know learned that I had screwed up my needle and was like okay I have to get this replaced oh look I can't <laughs> yeah and I called some companies up and I was like so you know I what what can I get that's similar and they're like we have no idea what you have I'm like oh, <laughs> great yeah the um the evolution is so simple like to clean it out and unclog it it looks like it's gonna be a blast and so would you I say and and would it be an evolution of your painting um, uh, it Sorry, Ooh, sorry. It, 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 <laughs> I like it. I like it already. It should. It, I I'm really excited to use it. So um, I got back from a, a conference in Barcelona just the other day, and I I bought uh, just to save myself on the packaging, uh, the posting. I mean, um, a box of the Fallen Frontiers Riff Berserkers, and they're like fully resin, and they're really sweet models. So I'm looking forward to um, doing that, and I've still got a few more. Kingdom Death survivors that need to be primed and, and painted. So uh, I've got a lot of new stuff to um, to use a new airbrush on, plus other things which I can't quite talk about yet. Ooh. Actually, what project? Actually, paying wargaming project stuff. So um, that'll paying be good. That's so when you start crossing wires and you end up never coming yeah. back, like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um. So, so I my the office here all got into 40k with the new edition. Oh um, wow! <laughs> and then they dragged me kicking and screaming into it. And I gotta say, I am a big fan of the new quote unquote dead space marines. Oh right, yeah. The they, um, is it, on the Primaris, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. I think all the names are very silly, but you know, <laughs> they're nice. They're nice. They're fun to paint. It's, it's easy in comparison to other things. They're um they're a lot simpler. At one point with Games Workshop stuff, I was very much like there was a lot of details all crammed into one space, and I was just like, really? Sure. I may as well just dry, dry brush it, right? So I, I uh, back in the day did did white scars, and I drove myself crazy painting white. So I thought I would go for the next easiest color and have started down the dark road of yellow. Right. <laughs> I posted a link in the chat. It's my my first painted dude in the paint scheme. Uh, I'm pretty proud. It's probably the best looking thing I've ever painted, and it's definitely wow. all because of the airbrush. Airbrush is oh, magical. Yeah. It just speeds up the process, and then, you know, it makes the oh, it's more than that. It's like I, I never realized how important that one base coat of color is, and the yeah. airbrush not only gets it perfect, it lets you tone in seconds. So doing yeah, yeah, like yeah. very subtle shading is easy. And then it gives you this this coat, this base to work on that's so much more forgiving. Like highlights hold on edges better. Shades actually run into the places they're supposed to instead of just staining everything. I was yeah, just like, yeah, I yeah. can't I can't believe it. I feel like I finally came <laughs> out of the dark ages of painting models. And you know, here's the the upswing of that. It's got me excited to actually 
start to paint some of the Kingdom Death stuff. Yeah, uh, to paint your own the the things you've been like you know involved in the design process that must be like wow. Yeah, it's exciting. Wow. Oh, what what of your uh, what are the models that you most excited to paint from Kingdom Death? I think I might do the uh, Sparrow Goblin in like a two tone kind of like very simple, um, like faded color, and then just do all do everything on the highlights. Oh, mm. Similar, similar yes. to the way that that silly Space Marine is painted. It's just like two, you know, yellow and yellow brown with highlights, and it, it looks so clean. Mm. I don't know. I might might do the whole thing a big flesh or like a like a, a purple to a blue. Yeah, mm. it's like with with miniature painting. I'm more into. I guess this leads into the the design side of it, like stuff that has more. I guess web design rules behind it. As opposed to just like let's make sure that the contrast on every separate part of this model is as high as possible and yeah. the same primary colors. I mean, it's gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. I just I constantly feeling like I want to do something I haven't seen exactly a hundred times before because someone's gonna be better than me at it anyway. Hmm. Uh, airbrushing really has led to a really. I've, I am trying different things. Like um, I think doing zenithal priming sometimes allows some very quick stuff like sketching kind of way of painting so everything paints that i do use if i haven't gone for like lo uh, one big block of color as a base color um is, is using lots of kind of more like washes um and that can give very quick effects but also it has its own particular look rather than just going with as you say with the space marines you can do all those nice transitions of um, yeah do you use a, a mixture of different paints from different companies Yes. Um, it seems so, to be what's in vogue right now. I don't think anyone is particularly allied to a single company anymore. It's really uh, interesting. No, exactly. So, like, um, I like using Private Depressor's P3 range. Um, they're quite because they're, they're a liquid. They're a liquid um, pigment. Uh, rather I than I believe a, those are uh, Tamiya pigments. Yeah. So they're made by H uh, HMG. Manchester, who used to make the very old um, hex pot citadel paints back in the day. Mm. Um, I also have a few. I still use a few citadel paints because I think they've got a lot better recently with some of their uh, technical paints. Like their McVeigh, McVeigh helped set up their paint line when he was working there. Yeah, exactly. The yeah, um, and uh, Vallejo obviously is just easy to get hold of and not breaking the bank and has good good dropper pots and the other thing i really like uh, right now is using um scale 75 really great uh, it's a great range like both they've got their their game color kind of series which is like very more satin but a lot more um easier to mix whereas their regular range they it has a tendency to separate but they dry ultra matte so they the skin tone set in there is fantastic so it's a good a good color range um well i could i mean i could spend way too much time on this i'm sure you guys want to yes. talk about other things <laughs> but i will i will drop that um if angel giardellas i hope i'm pronouncing his name right uh, Ange uh angelus Geraldes, is that yeah. that's one yeah yeah the guy who does all the infinity stuff 
Yes. He, yeah. he grabbed a hold of me at Gen Con. He's super interested in working with us and, you know, painting models and stuff. And... Oh, that'd be, it'd be excellent to see his um, kind of, yeah. in the next book, some like painting guides using uh, Kingdom Death miniatures. That would be like fantastic. So he, he works with uh, Vallejo all the time mm. and very quickly put me in touch with their CEO who gave us permission to use their paints in actual painting guides. Oh, great. You, it's unbelievable how complicated it is to just make painting guides. Like, I, mm. I, can't, I can't legally show any paints that people are using if it's something that could be construed as you know, for sale or used to help a sale. Because yeah. then I'm using their intellectual property without permission. So it's kind of like surprising how difficult it is. Just, just want to get some paint guides. Like, that's not that crazy. Yeah. So there, there, that's like at the very beginning of a, a possible relationship there. But I'm, I'm hoping that we might start to see more, you know, quote unquote, official paint guides for things. Excellent. That's that'll be, be really cool. good. That'll be really, really good. Cool. I guess this has all been primer for the uh, for the main interview. Then um, again, your your word choice is uh, excellent. Uh, so so primer, eh? So Adam, um, Kingdom Death is a huge, huge game. It has so many different elements to it, and uh, it clearly, it's a board game. It's a miniatures game. It has tactical fighting. It has uh, civilization building. Um, so, where does this all come from? I think is the first real question. It's like for you, uh, for your earliest kind of like uh, phrase into and board games what were some of those early games that you feel were most informative to creating kingdom death both as a game and as a world it's kind of like a, a, a screaming conglomeration of every piece of mixed media i've touched in specific to games though i mean you have early games workshop stuff which yeah i was a huge fan of necromunda mordheim warhammer quests like mm -hmm. all of that kind of um, and those games absolutely exemplified your ability to quickly rise in power and then fall. So, yes. you know, and that, that, that makes sense from a game design perspective, wherein you're going to gather people to actually be around a table for as much time as you can, which as you get older is limited because we're adults and you mm -hmm. want it to be like exciting. You want it to be meaningful. So you want to see things have great success and you want to see great failures like you want it all encapsulated in that one session otherwise it's just kind of like meandering and the experience can be like you know mediocre right yeah like like that was great we got through uh dungeon levels three through four i uh, you know i guess we'll see you guys same time next week for four through five nothing much happens like that's it's not kind of like the feeling you want at least i wanted to walk away with from the table because the game was definitely made for me and my friends 
Yeah. The irony being now, of course, since I've driven everyone nuts by talking about it and it being my dominating part of my life, I don't actually get to play Kingdom Death with my friends. Oh. <laughs> I only get to play in the most bugged beta alpha states of things. <laughs> but that's yeah. okay. And then uh, Monster Hunter, which we touched upon a little bit about earlier, was also a very big influence um, in the early sort of creation of what is now Kingdom Death Monster. Mm-hmm. Oh man, uh, yeah. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of hunting monsters myself. So I'm, I, I would love to pick your brains on Monster Hunter at some point. But I could sure. like, go on, uh, go on that. Give us what, what is your favorite for just a short one? What's your favorite monster from Monster Hunter? The Kezu. Kezu. Yes. Like, not only was it, I think I played <laughs> Freedom Unite, the PSP one, the most. Yeah. And it was like the first real, okay, I'm going to, you know, kick your, your dick into the dirt monster. It's just like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you have a long sword? Oh, you're, you're in trouble. Have fun fighting me over and over again. Like I timed out on that thing so many times. Cause you would just crawl on the ceiling. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. And I'd like, you could bring two barrel bombs. Oh, the frustration level I had. And then of course you finally beat it and you realize you have to go in and kill it like five more times. So, oh God. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't actually get that far. I got much further in later versions of the game when I was actually playing with friends instead of solo. Um, yeah, there's a definite like. And there's an absolute very steep learning curve, which I'm hoping in World they sort of smooth out and make the game more about the fun parts. But that's again a separate conversation mm. for a separate radio show, probably. <laughs> so um, I think the next question, because obviously Kingdom Death has got quite. Um, a, a definite kind of visual style, or at least um, it's quite clear that while it has got different elements of it, which are like um, the survivors and the monsters and uh, their designs have to kind of fit together, even though they can be quite quite strange in some respects and sometimes quite jarring. I think that kind of works quite well. Like, you know, you've got some monsters that are quite resplendent, like the... Um, uh, like the black is it the black knight I'm thinking of yes um, or or the um, the kingsman and then you've got something that's pure body horror like you know gorm or or some of those so miniatures what were some of the, like the early early miniatures that you felt like wow I need to have that because that to me encapsulates uh, you know is a bit would be a centerpiece for like wargaming in your collection. There are definitely miniatures when I was first getting into it that I wanted to have, but those miniatures did not were not influential pieces of what became Kingdom Death. Yeah, sure. So this is like I'm gonna divide this question into two. Miniatures yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember going into the complete strategist at Rockefeller Center with my mom as a kid and she was like, You can buy one thing and I was making this heartbreaking decision between the uh the High Elf Griffin, which was by Marauder Miniatures, okay, back, yeah. back back in the day, and um, the Skeleton Horde box set, <laughs> yeah, because okay. it was like a way better deal, and I wanted to make an undead army anyway, obviously. Uh, and I, I I walked out with the undead army, and then much much later in life, I picked up that the Griffin, which I never assembled or painted, but those were definitely must-haves for me back in the day, and that was more of a just sort of I didn't realize how cool like little models could be, you know, <laughs> mm. <laughs> I guess it's, I mean, it still is pretty nerdy, but I just, the idea of it really sucked me in. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the the imagination uh, that having these tiny figurines that it adds to the gaming level is just so so much. It just seems so essential. Yeah. It rem- that, that I kind need of, this. Not I want this. I actually need this in my life right now. I, it kind of reminds me of when I first kind of um, collected my first 40k army. And like, yeah, sure, gene stealers were scary looking and having lots of them and everything else. But it was when I finally got hold of um, the the original Metal Hive Tyrant for second ed. And that was just like such a huge model and just had so much going on with the protruding you know uh, uh carapace and the mouth coming out and if you obviously i'd seen alien and everything yeah. so it was just like yeah that that's that's tyranids in a nutshell and he's gonna come along and like psychically and biologically devastate him in some way so that was really that's kind of one of those miniatures um and then as far as the sort of visual guide for kingdom death yeah japanese dark fantasy you know Huge fan yeah. of Berserk. Uh, oh, God, yes. Huge yeah. fan of Geiger. And something I noticed yeah. about both of their creature designs in general is that they were incredibly symmetrical. And everything felt yes. majestic. And, like, everything felt alive. And, like, it was powerful, and it could also be killed. And uh, American mm-hmm. comic book monsters, it's very different. Things are generally... Uh, lopsided or they have like one big hand or zombies in general since they're sampling meshes there's nothing symmetrical or mm. majestic about it whatsoever uh and then you know it sort of it brought you this idea that these things were living they're actual things we just don't necessarily understand them that well because it's hard to relate to them mm. and that was kind of like the very founding stones as far as like what i wanted kingdom death to be like I wanted mm. to be a see a nightmare even nightmare horror was uh not what i described it as back in the beginning mm-hmm. i considered it dark fantasy but um i learned that things like dragon age were dark fantasy and mm. many other uh, especially american based games that labeled themselves as dark fantasy were as far from dark fantasy as i could imagine <laughs> and it wasn't until i was in salute i so i went one year uh and one of the was woman walked by and she was looking at some of the, the, the early models we had and she looked at the Gorm and said that is uh, nightmarish and horrific. Mm. And I thought that is a much better way to describe what I'm going for than dark fantasy, which, you know, dark fantasy equates to regular skeletons and goblins and, you know, racial, r- racial wars between cultures that the dwarves hate the elves. It's dark fantasy. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's, is that regular it, fantasy? No, all right. It's because, like, if you look at the the different types of visual styles of war games and miniatures, so there's quite a lot of diversity within fantasy as it is. I mean, you only have to compare classic Warhammer fantasy, which is like you know pseudo Renaissance kind of grim fairy tales mixed with other um, horror elements in there, but it's still it's still recognize it's like. It's Tolkien mashed up with our world, so it's it's recognizable, but then also a bit fantastical. Whereas, like Sigma, I would describe as like high dark fantasy because it's got it, it's more reminiscent now to. Uh, if they push Age of Sigmar more towards like sixties and seventies sci-fi fantasy yeah. covers, I, it might just suck me in. <laughs> it's, it, it's 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 almost like, like it's almost more like, hair metal. 
Yeah, yeah. More badassery, you know, less pants. All right, I'm in. Because it reminds me, it reminds me, like, if they can redesign, if they want to do... Because I hate the Empire still being a thing in Age of Sigma, because it's just, like, it's too jarringly... Um... The Empire was just their sort of, like, stand-ins for the Germans originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So the, the Reichlanders? Yeah, so I... It, it, always, it always bothered me back in the day that the only cool knights we got were, were French. I mean, I love the Bretonians. I have a, have a pretty good collection of them, but it'd be interesting to see more. Yeah, and I guess I mean, their British analog was the orcs, right? Uh, no, we had uh, we had Albion, so that was where the Celts were. Um, that was part and, of the empire, though. Uh, just about. Um, orcs were a weird one. I mean, in 40k, they were like a piss take of like human um, a British football hooliganism. Yeah. So well, they're, they're plants now. So the, yeah, the fungus. Yeah. But I was gonna say like the thing which because um, it's like it's. It's only still now being like developed. Um, is confrontation by Rackham? That to me is more what Age of Sigmar's gone to, and it'll be interesting to see how that comes back because that is a very different fantasy style. And that, but you're right. There's within fantasy, there's a lot there, and I and, you, and Kingdom Death is just you look at it, and I'm like, yeah, it ain't any of that stuff. It is, no. as you say, it's berserk. Um, you can see some of the I can see some elements that come through from like um the mangas for like um vampire hunter d things like that i can you can see little bits where it's like it's almost like if it's a traditional fantasy element in kingdom death it's almost like we'll take it but almost as if it's been reworked through a through a lens of a different culture because like like berserk is 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 like it's kind of like Warhammer, but seen through the Japanese lens and and reworked, and it's it's interesting how that happens. The uh, author was is obsessed with uh, American movies. <laughs> it's just so bizarre how like incestuous it all gets. You know, uh, I the, think that his his basis for Berserk was Blood and Iron. Okay, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's just a movie about mercenaries and how terrible they are to each other. <laughs> Iron and Blood, I think it's called. And the the other the other thing I always thought was a, a good visual element, and I think I can see that in things like the um, the the the, um, the dung beetle knight, or at least I I, I get reminded of it, is um, Bio Booster Armor Giver, because again you've got kind of very symmetric uh, bio kind of creatures, which kind of uh, I think that the thing with, when you said like some things being symmetrical, symmetrical. is yeah. Is it, it that's unnerving because it's it is that unnerving. Kind of uncanny valley area and it leads into things like what's it tryptophobia, which is to do with with uh, hexagons meshing together because people can look at tri uh, like how insects like lay their eggs into flesh and it creates these you know patterns that are very organic but also very regular and ordered and it it's very like the human body that well the, sorry the human mind is kind of. Uh, triggered to go that's not us like anything that's too regular ordered is mostly due to bacteria or some little insect or something else um <laughs> kingdom death where where did kingdom death come from like what was the point where you decided that this is this is the world that you wanted to explore so my answer to the question is sort of the opposite of the question it was i'm asking myself where don't i want to go <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> um, okay. originally I was working on you know I, full time being a 
you know, working in various different startups in New York. And that was my, my life, web dev, front end design and stuff. And, uh, you know, in our downtime, we played games. And I was like thinking to myself, how hard could it be to make my own game? Like, this is fun. I love these games. But there's a lot of hang ups here and a lot of things that could be reworked and sort of polished to, again, here's the theme of better meet what my gaming group does, especially because we had no one who ever wanted to run anything. So absolutely mm -hmm. no no dungeon master or game master that couldn't work. Um, and so when I actually sat down to think about it, I, you know, uh, started to dial in on stuff that I wanted to see more of that I didn't see done very often. You know, like I love undead. I love skeletons. I love necromancers. I love cool whites with big axes. But I thought, okay, I love all that stuff so much. I probably shouldn't do any of that. And mm -hmm. that made me think, I guess I am not going to have any undead in this game world. Okay. That's sort of a little different, right? All right. So where does that, where does that lead me next? Where else don't I want to go? And so I thought, well, if it's going to be a world about, you know, people trying to survive and it's horrible, then we probably should just focus on just, you know, I'm going to have air quotes here, humans, right? Mm -hmm. That should be the thing we're focusing on is, is people so we can relate to them uh, and just monsters. We probably shouldn't have any demi races. Like, okay. So, you know, all the demi races then got wiped off and then I was kind of left with this very clean slate of just things that I didn't want to touch or explore. And then you start kind of going backwards and you start to think, okay, one of the earliest thoughts was why it, you know, I think there's a very early, there was a, a passage from an old D&D book that was describing human civilization just sort of appearing as tiny dots on a map like stars in the sky. It's very appealing. Yeah. Um, but then you think, why? Why is it that way? Especially in D&D world where everything's magical. No one ever dies. If you die, you can come back to life. It's just like humanity sh and the demi races should have completely conquered that planet or realm or whatever you're going to call it like very quickly. The power mm -hmm. level is just astronomical. There's no real reasons for why anything should be able to stop or counter that in its own sort of ecology, but that's whatever. So I thought, well, uh, what if there were monsters who simply ate human history, hmm. right? And that's why there's just not that many. There's things out there who are like, yeah, this is, this is how I feed. And that was a very early thought. And that's typically how all these things start is with, these big early concepts and then you know you you dial down into it and once we were finally working on the watcher we had to figure out what it was and what eating history quote unquote meant as opposed to just this this concept and uh with kingdom death something will start very high up and big like we want this monster that eats history and then once we finally get to giving its final design pass we always end up introducing these very science fictional pseudoscience reasonings for things because it helps us ground it in the design so that mm -hmm. then we know what's happening even if it's silly and we can cut it up and begin to describe it to the players as it's happening to them instead of just just telling yeah you want you want it's creating the internal consistency of your world right uh, it's also part of that symmetry and part of making it so that everything feels like it's alive right if we know how it works in a way that we can understand which you know is science and silliness uh then we can re-describe it to the players through our 
storytelling medium, which is basically monster fights in a way mm -hmm. that you can start to digest little pieces of it, which is very cool and very lucky that we stumbled upon that as a uh, way to tell stories. This this is something that uh, Chris and I have talked about, and I'm I'm I particularly love about Kingdom Death when we've been looking at individual monsters and going through like their cards and their um, their attacks and things. Just the feeling that you you look at these attacks and you look at the the little bits of description on them, and you really feel like they definitely they have an existence, and this is a facet of it. And yeah. you feel like you're understanding, like it's shedding. You're looking through a little window onto it, but it's a thing that exists. Yeah. And that's that's definitely no small effort. Hmm. So that people pick up on it, super happy. <laughs> you know, that's great. Um, yeah. So to answer that question, it, it was more about um, defining the things I loved so much, and agreeing with myself that I wouldn't really touch them. That's that in 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 world building is is something which is like. It's it requires I think as a as a as a game designer or or, or something it, it's that level of bravery to do what's difficult and to kind of like and to destroy what you may have already started writing because um, I think that stands out that as you say Kingdom Death doesn't have skeletons it doesn't have zombies the more got, the more I think about skeletons the less they make sense and it makes makes me sad like if you were a powerful wizard okay I'm a powerful wizard and you had the power to animate bones like can you imagine the complexity of that spell like there's nothing connecting these things you're literally suspending how many bones in the human body in yeah. air and making them look like they're moving like just pick up a sword and fling it at something <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense I mean, if you, but that's if you have okay. that much control over bones, control the bones in your foes. Like, that's right. probably and there's more... a certain, yeah. like, very nerdy <laughs> meta level that gets applied when you start to break things, think these things down. Yeah, I think... You realize uh, that it doesn't, doesn't make any sense, and you're like, huh, how, how about that? <laughs> that, that mostly, that, that says something then, like you said, about having kind of almost a... While it, there is some sort of, you know, magic or arcane power that is at work within the world of Kingdom Death, it... It operates on a very. Um, it operates in a way that manipulates biology in a way that kind of makes more sense, rather than like the reason you have undead in settings, or at least I would say, you is because they have a, a setup where that type of power or that connection to what is the meaning of death, and a skeleton is an embodiment of the meaning of death made manifest. That's fine for that world, but. To me, that's as you say, Kingdom Death is possibly not that because Kingdom Death is about unnatural flora and fauna. Is that yeah. a good word? Yeah, and that's that kind of like once you're dead, you're dead, and everything. Yeah, there's no coming back. There's no yeah for anything. So that's another big world rule was things die permanently. Hmm, that's very also kind of like I don't know if that that's almost kind of like a bit of a full metal alchemist thing because again, they never really do undead in there. They do. They do all their weird kind of um, simulcra and and uh, and uh, strange. I enjoyed I'm... little slices of that show, but yeah, it was sort of. Uh, and you know, I I apologize to any FMA fans out there. <laughs> I found a good like eighty ninety percent of it to just be very painful to get through. <laughs> like the the stereotypes of the anime caricatures was just like in full blossom. Just like please, <laughs> just please. Yeah, I understand. Move this along. 
Yeah, I, another anime which I, I love, but like it's it's a uh, it's it's a bit hard going because again it it does so many um typical uh, tropes is um is uh what, why can't I think of it now Shadow Skill. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Oh, it's insane! It's insane! It's complete insanity. There's a really well animated OVA, but then there's also a, a more traditional animated. Is that series. the one where people are fighting and they're like chained up? Like their hands bound, and they're like, oh yeah, they do. the The guys who the the practitioners of the shadow skill is it's a it's a fighting up that's based on kicks. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So I I remember seeing very small bits of this and being like, this is strange, but well animated. But but it's great. It reminds me of stuff. It's always my source material for Exalted because it's people literally like kicking someone so hard they destroy mountains, and it's like, there you go. That's fine. Not Dragon Ball Z. Uh, <laughs> we'll get no. <laughs> um, cool. I'm a fan of the new one. Super is is taking it to weird places. It's much more like gods and meddling meddling mortals than the rest of the show, which doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I was going to actually ask a second a lead on question from like you know you, you were going when yep. creating the world going where it wasn't easy to go because it's just it's not just tolkien-esque tropes it's not just undead orcs and all these demi races so in that kind of pathway to going i want to explore this were there points we went i want to explore this but it's i i i don't know whether i have like you know whether you have the language or or even maybe the the um or if you feel brave enough to go into it because of the type of content because kingdom death is has is elements of body horror it it really doesn't pull punches in places and but you know were there times you went do i do that and then still went bite the bullet and you you went for it and found something quite unique that hadn't been done before i mean the hardest the hardest hang-ups i've had is when i start to overcomplicate things in my own head right because at the basis of it all it's a game and as fans and people who are experiencing it we have to relate to it so if something is too far up or down the concept staircase you can you can't make a connection yeah and i think uh especially after the first kickstarter ended i was just trying really hard to come up with you know things that are quote unquote as creative as i possibly could and i kept stalling out and i realized that i was just simply trying too hard it was much easier to take something i was familiar with and then to just let it evolve and to keep mm -hmm. asking questions. And it's more about the it's more about the questions you ask as you're creating something that lead to creative answers, I think, than necessarily starting with something and going like, this is it. I've never seen this well before. Let's do it. Mm. You know, because we we uh Spidiculis, which uh was supposed to be spidiculous, but I have uh I'm not the best speller in the world, so spelled it wrong. It's supposed to be ridiculous spider. <laughs> But whatever um, is, I am totally creeped out by Daddy Longlegs. Okay, right. I yeah. find it to be incredibly uncomfortable looking, and I thought I don't really see very many Daddy Longleg monsters, especially miniatures. So let's let's make one of those. And uh, I started to research about them, and uh, they're they are creepy. Mother Nature is just unbeatable as far as what it gets up to. Uh, it's unbelievable. That's, so that's they, yeah. A certain type of these things will crawl into spiders' webs and stretch themselves out, uh, rendering themselves practically invisible. And then they will vibrate 
and shake the web, alerting the spider that it's caught something. And when the spider comes up to it, it kills them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, so we have something that can uh, lure other spiders. So now I guess that means it can lure humans. And it can vibrate itself and turn invisible, basically. Okay, <laughs> all right. So these things just start to, to build themselves at some point. And they, after you take it to a certain place, it, the, the best designs always kind of like get a life of their own before mm. you know it and then you're just sort of like chasing and answering questions and then finally bringing it back down to a place where it can be you know designed and shared with people <laughs> that that's fantastic it's one of it's yeah it's one of the reasons i mean like role i i love that in role playing where um you you wind up all your npcs and you watch them going and then people start going i'm drawing these connections and it's like yes yes this is all like everything starts filling yeah. in and it yeah. kind of starts to happen. I mean, in the dung beetle night, like I was watching a video of a, a dung beetle, and I just thought this is like the most try-hard little insect I've ever seen. It's <laughs> <laughs> spending literally an hour trying to push its food, its poop ball, up a tiny mound, and just keeps failing over and over again. And it seemed very much like a metaphor for the struggle of the uh, survivors. And I was like, I have to, I have to make this thing. It's so cool. And then the question of like, well, how does it fit in? What's it up to? Like, why has it evolved? And then that all starts to like fit back into the the game world and the other things that are there. The Dung Beetle Knight is a really fantastic expansion. I have to say, I really do like that one because it's not just another monster, but I like the everything about it. Adds all the 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 harvesting using the dung, and that's just when that gets introduced. It's just like that's it's just really cool because it's. For me, it, it, I like the kind of like the, the 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 survivors are basically doing some very rudimentary chemistry with with as many caustic elements as possible and hoping they come out come out with something kick ass without like burning their hands off. Um, and also the miniatures, I'd say that miniature is like to me, it's just like it's a um, it's one of the it looks very zoonoid out of Giver. It has that kind of look to it. So yeah, it's really wicked. Um, the horn beetle. Cool. Japanese love it. Yeah. What would you say are the main influences on Kingdom Death and the style of game it is, uh, both in terms of gameplay and art? Like you've mentioned, you've mentioned some before with Geiger and things, and um, a, a lot of the early Warhammer, but uh, like Necromunda and whatnot. Right. Uh, jumping backwards real quick, because I don't think I actually answered the question. Uh, in regards to pulling punches, uh, I don't, I don't see the point. Um, I didn't, I just kind of wanted to make what I wanted to make originally and was just thrilled that people out there wanted to, uh, participate and buy the, the models so that I could continue going. And then after the first Kickstarter and now the second, it's sort of like we've business-wise established ourselves independently and we don't have a distributor and we sell to fans directly, which gives us the freedom and gives me the freedom. And this is amazing to kind of let the artists do whatever they want. And we have like a very raw approach to design where it's just like uncompromising and totally open. Like, yeah, we'll we'll explore whatever it is if we feel like it will service the story and be a good experience. So good may not be the right word, but be part of an experience for fans. It's very, very lucky. I think we're very fortunate. And I knock on wood on the table here, not to jinx myself. Um, okay. Moving forward to the new question, which we talked about a little bit before. Uh, Gameplay-wise, like the game 
I wanted it to be a game where you would get together your friends and play, and then after you've had your your big fight, you'd then get a chance to like you know level up, and maybe that's something that is not necessarily uh, maybe that's something that you could do quickly. It turned out not to be quick. Settlement phase is not quick, um, but <laughs> the the thought was something you could do quickly and decide upon as a group, and then pack up the game and you know be excited for the next session, or you could sort of like. Uh, talk with your friends over the course of the week about what you're going to do. And then when you get back together, finish your settlement phase and then head back into another fight. Like it was made to have that break point. Um, and early Warhammer quests had that wherein after you finished the dungeon, you would go back to a settlement and the settlement was <laughs> basically everyone rolling on random tables forever and <laughs> having horrible things happen to them. Uh, and then spending the gold that you earn during your quest to buy new equipment and level up. And one of the strangest parts of the game design was, because it was trying to be reality sim, uh, that when someone was training, it typically took a week. So you could have three of the four players training, and then the fourth player left without enough money to train, and they would basically just be stuck in the city or the town rolling a random event and being able to do one thing every day. Hmm. So these, these, this part of the game very quickly would get way out of control, but it was still super fun. I and mean, there's nothing else like it. There still isn't really anything that much like it. Uh, Shadows of Brimstone is probably the closest Warmer Quest analog at this point. Um, I think so. The Silver Tower was far more pre-set adventuring and... Yeah, it's sort Shadow of... A a yeah. very watered down, just straight up dungeon crawl. Yeah, and shadows of over Hammerhall, whatever the one new one is. I think that allows you to design your own stories. But yeah, Warhammer Quest was yeah. I think hasn't really been replicated. Um, I'm sure Games Workshop will mostly do something another box at some point. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and yeah, as for random tables, there were lots. The Chaos Warrior oh, yeah. was a completely crazy character <laughs> to play. Yeah, it's I mean, one of the one of everyone's favorites. There's always one. Sometimes they just devolved into a mess. Yes, uh, but that like, uh... and then so here's another strange game design element that definitely influenced uh, me, and then Anna, and everyone else who worked on on KD. Um, Warhammer Quest initially was a game that set you up to play four players versus the game system and then it dumped you into this very big role play book and the role play book included a section for someone to run the game as a gm mm -hmm. but everything in that was just sort of a suggestion but talking to other fans and other people everyone ended up playing it kind of the same way which is very interesting to me uh because there are no rules to support it and that is essentially going through the role play content continuing without a dungeon master Hmm. And it was this kind of like, okay, I'm just going to become a victim of this system. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and I don't know. For us, we got we got into it. Like you know, our our friend Glenn would always play a wizard, and any time we got to a fire chasm, he would fall in. Uh, <laughs> it became an in, inside joke, and it was amazing. He got so mad, he uppercutted the table and sent everything flying everywhere. But you know, it's like didn't have moments like that in many other games. And, I thought, like, mm. sort of going into something where you know that there's a high chance of danger, and even if you're playing your very best, you can still just die. <laughs> it's exciting. Mm -hmm. 
So that was one that, of the one of the founding stones of the game design was like this has to continue to be exciting and it has to continue to surprise you constantly. Yeah, I, I think that's the main the main draw to it. And I think obviously where some people kind of balk at it and kind of just go, That's not for me. Because sure. some people some people like to have that learn you know that internally learned knowledge of a game so inside out they can they can they can they're fully optimized for it and it's exciting that you can know kingdom death quite well that you can play it rapidly like you can you can get new people into playing it like i've done with the beast of war guys you know we, we play through it with that knowledge but it still surprises me yeah what can can and will happen and that's why it's it's always fun and then when you've got the whole making your own um campaign timeline uh what with the campaigns of death and the optional you know you you swap in gorm for the for the white lion and things like that you can take everything you've learned about the game and and turn it on its head and or and have a new experience that's similar but but is going to surprise you yeah it's good when you know i was playing playing diablo 3 and i had a blast with it for 20 hours and so you know we, we beat it and then everyone was like okay this is this is like like diablo 2 guys this is going to be our lives for the next few months let's do it and it was so underwhelming i mean it was very pretty looking but all the skills you got them all and then mm. they all kind of like were mathed to the point where they did pretty much the same damage it felt like so it didn't really matter what you picked it just felt like didn't didn't matter like Mm -hmm. all of your choices didn't feel meaningful because they're all so well balanced it didn't seem to do much at least from my perspective and so it's kind of a little boring and then uh my friends got into playing hardcore and that was exciting for a little bit but it it felt more like being on a road trip where hmm. you're on a road trip and it's all right uh but the only real danger is falling asleep at the wheel and driving into a ditch just like yeah that was it tunnel vision and then you're you're you fall on the wrong side of a monster and you're dead. Right, yeah. It's just like, oh, the thing spawned, or we went into an area with one of those little treasure gnomes, and it spawned things that were too high and shoot the lasers, so we're dead now, and that's it. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> cool, I guess. Um, right. And with, with, with KD, it's, it's a tricky balance, right? You don't want things to be so hard where no one is enjoying it, but you wanna, I, I want to feel awake when I'm playing. I want to feel like every one, every one turn I get matters. Mm -hmm. And I always sit there thinking like, what, what, what's the most I can do? What, what can we all do to turn the tables on this? Like you always want to design wise. I always wanted to make it feel like the players were losing by just a little bit. They're always just a little bit behind. That that's yeah. I think, I think that's absolutely fantastic. There's a, there's a reason. Um, it reminds me, one must be a little bit of Monster Hunter because I always say that Monster Hunter I find mechanically satisfying. Like every turn, you feel like you're doing something. Monster Hunter, every monster, you feel like you're learning something, even if you get beaten. Um, and it also reminds me of Dwarf. Have you played Dwarf Fortress? A little bit, but it was like I think too too much for me at that point. I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm just gonna get back on Minecraft. This is. <laughs> But my friends, they love you. I love to hear about their games playing. Yeah, like it's it's very dense trying to decipher all of the ASCII and everything. Yeah, there's, incredibly obtuse. Yeah, you you set out in that game, and 
the the motto is kind of the motto is losing is fun, and you bait like everything is <laughs> everything is going to go wrong at some point. Like your dwarf yeah. is going to go crazy and start bludgeoning people with a burning table, <laughs> and that is going to be the downfall of your colony. But it is a heck of a story when it happens. Yeah, and you end like, up you know, just one. Good things, unfortunately, need to come to an end. And that's why the uh, original game was, you know, when you win, everybody, it's game over. Mm. It's like, no matter what, that's it. Mm. Um, we, you know, have since had a chance to revisit that, the new version of it, because I think it, no one wants their favorite story to end. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you, you, you make it really, it's, it's, it's a challenge to play beyond... The assigned lantern years, so yeah, needing because you've now introduced what the 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 kind of like you could make lanterns which are useful beyond um, the death of the watcher. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And that allows you to go out into the world, and that you know thematically makes sense because either you stay where you are with your big colony, well, with your colony, not big, it may not be big at all by that point, and the monsters are going to come after you finally and tear it apart, or you try and go out into the world with what little light you can take with you. So I think that both are interesting kind of story um, points to uh, to carry on from. But you know, the end point is still really good. The center of the design, and hopefully this actually answers the, the question, is not how do we make things as grimdark and as terrible as possible. That was never ever really a thought when i was designing it it was again the opposite it was how do we make things feel as heroic and as you know um survive by the skin of your teeth like how do we make that little lantern in the center of all this darkness shine the brightest and mm -hmm. you know um i'm a i'm a huge fan of uh i watch a lot of terrible anime i'm a big fan of the shonen series in general which is always fighting it's just fighting um and there's always that moment where you're like, how is this protagonist going to overcome? That's like what they're all based on. And of course they always do. And I wanted to make the world where you can actually have and experience those moments. Or you're the last person left with a monster who has way too many wounds left in his deck. And you're like, there's no way this is going to happen. And then you, you know, knuckle down and you think and you try to remember what it's done, what's out there. And sometimes you can just barely pull through mm. and to have a game system that allows that is i think probably the highest achievement i could have ever made it's just and that is also you know including the help and support from a pretty wonderful team and an amazing partner like not easy cool um let's talk some more about then um game mechanics then if we move forward um so Kingdom Death uses grid-based system for movement, positioning, and uh, how combat is based. And then also we have random hit locations, so uh, which you know could mean you hit anything from the animal's leg or the creature's stomach, or you might uh, hit it in a somewhere which is impervious, so that you don't do a wound, but there's some good resources to get from it. Or obviously you hit the trap and it turns the tables on you and completely annihilates the um the survivor so in creating that system of both the the core game mechanics of the dice and the hit locations and then also of the characters of the survivors and then the, doing the same for the monsters what were some of like the conceptual hurdles in designing that because you 
I imagine you could have at some point had something that, that would work very well if it was, say, uh, a masked combat game or had more miniatures or maybe had less. Because um, uh, some, some game systems are very good. They're very dry, though, but they work very well because they're representing very big conflicts. Whereas if you try to take that system to another to another type of gameplay or another type of experience, it doesn't really pay off because it just doesn't have that granularity and excitement to it. So the question, so the question is, what kind of like design hurdles did you okay. have in, in, for creating the combat system and and that? Like when you went, this wasn't really working. It wasn't capturing that feeling that you wanted. We had one hurdle very early in the beginning, and after that was cleared, it all clicked. And that was initially monsters were only going to have one deck. Um, the top half of the card was going to be an attack, and the bottom half was going to be the location you hit. So if okay. uh, white line hits you with its right claw, when you hit it you would also hit it in the right claw. And when that card was removed, it's not going to use that attack anymore. Conception, conceptually, it was a very beautiful and very elegant system, right? It made, made perfect sense, easy. But what it turned into was um, you end up seeing all of the monster's attacks very quickly, and the entire secret of the deck has revealed itself before you've even really had much of a chance to play it. Yeah, I, I can see how that's that that also uh, means you don't get those moments where the monster is left with a few killer killer right. attack types and it, and it almost like it, it it like one really massive kind of attack that's just going to keep re- replaying on you yeah hmm. also um it was just a hell of a lot to crowd onto these little cards yes even okay. if the cards are made bigger it was too too, too busy design wise and so I remember taking that away from the table and being like, all right, well, that didn't work. I guess I'm going to try splitting them into two. And when it hit the table again, it just felt so much better. It was like, well, almost a, a duh moment. Well, of course, let's do this. Mm. And uh, that was the biggest initial hurdle. Uh, after that, and this is something um, my brother pointed out, was he said that it doesn't, this is fighting the white lines, it doesn't feel enough like, fighting a white lion would like this thing should be like dragging people away from everyone and and isolating itself and disappearing and stalking through the grass and all these other things that you would imagine in a a fantastical lion fight. And um, that was sort of the, the basis on realizing that these things had to move around a lot. And so if they don't move, it just very quickly becomes rock, sock and robots where everyone's just in a kind of like a car lot standing there hitting each other. So, so what you've said about the, the the white lion grabbing people, I think, is a good highlight of highlights quite well. And this is for the next question anyway. Um, and mostly that was your aha moment is making sure attacks for monsters really kind of made them operate on the board uniquely, both in how they move and how they deal damage. Because like the white lion grabs you, it, it isolates you, it knocks you down. Um, the antelope can charge entire through entire groups of people but it moves in a very it can move in a very linear manner in that way and then the phoenix of course has huge aoe attacks but it always goes back to the middle of the board or it does so quite often um leaving the antelope where it won't even attack you in the beginning we'll just continue to eat is very purposeful yes yeah it's 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 those things and then once you randomize the decks you get different attacks in there it's what some of the questions we've had for the beast of war things is oh you're fighting the white lion again it's like well 
at level two now. It's like this isn't the same monster anymore now. This is this is this is a different beast. The way it's moving around is is very different, and you have to take the right weapons to deal with it. When I uh, was planning the first Kickstarter, and, and you know, I was aware of how many models I could put into the <laughs> at the time pitched game <laughs> box, right? Which yeah. is supposed to be in PVC and was supposed to have a retail of a hundred. Um, I thought to myself, what would be a kind of meaningful amount of content here? Like we only have this many monsters. So it probably, you know, I felt, I felt this like um, pressure of uh, kind of gaming expectation, right? Both with a mixture of my own gaming experience and then talking to uh, my peers and Anna at the times, like what would feel right as far as content. And that's uh, when we uh, decided that each monster should have three levels right as opposed to just one mm-hmm. and then once uh, once we were describing everything's ai and building their hit location deck it, it wasn't it was not on purpose that they ended up feeling so very different every time you fought them it was more of a coincidence because we just had so many ideas for these things there ended up being so many cards and then when you make a deck not all those cards get in it and then when you fight it Typically, you only end up seeing about half of what's there anyway. And the way it works, since after a monster's played a card, it goes into the discard pile. You're not going to remove that as a wound. So it's kind of like built its personality the first half half, half of the game. And then it's going to repeat those ones that were discarded again. Yeah, it's it's, oh. it, it's, it's so neat. I, um... Go on, James. Yeah. Well, I, I, I ended up running a... Um, when I ran my campaign... Uh, with some friends from work, we we did it very intensely over the course of like maybe one or one or two months, just like a session almost every other day or so. And yeah, you know, we we did fight a lot of lions and we did fight a lot of um, uh, antelopes and things. But yeah, just every every year you'd go in, and sometimes you have like we had one lion who spent most of the time lying on the ground playing dead. ground fighting. Yep. Yeah. And, and you're like, did someone please get darts? No. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, those are very those are very soft lock and key mechanics that I actually wanted to make the lock and key mechanics much much harder to give it more of like a, a Mega Man feel. It's like you could beat this, but it would be nearly impossible without this to give you more guiding points for when um, you were playing as far as what you develop and what you build. But it. Uh, Anna and the the one designer we had on the team at that point really fought me on that and, and pushed me away. And they're like, no, we want everything to be somewhat useful all the time. Like, oh, okay. My, mm. my, my response at the time was like, all right, but when you guys run out of ideas, you know, let me know. But it, 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 it worked out. And now it's um just become part of the way we do things like having an armor set that, negates something specific and that's its only role while would lead to us being able to have a much higher variety of armor sets is kind of lazy design in a way you know it's like Mm. i've got my poison set it makes me immune to poison i'm gonna go fight the poison monster now it's like okay cool but having an armor set that you know instead uh lets you charge or gives you survival back or lets you ignore bash it's more universal even if the it's harder to come up with those rules and it's it's very exciting it's very interesting for 
expandability, like having worked as a designer myself, um, often when you're trying to come up with a, a space and you're going like, okay, so I, I need to come up with this, but also there might possibly be DLC that gets plugged on here, or you know, we might end up looking at expanding this in the future if we get a chance to patch it. And yeah, yeah the way that the way that they work in Kingdom Death, you definitely you definitely feel that you know there is that space to expand. I mean, the fact that you've got the disorder decks and the fighting arts, and you know you can add things into those and take things out, and that's that's really neat. Um, yeah, it's 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 also it's a lot easier to to modify within the game box and have it ready for replay rather than. Um, you have to have like multiple and multiple and multiple random tables depending upon which flavor things you've mixed together. Having using the cards as a way of building that randomization is a lot more. I think it's just it's it's quicker to put into operation. Um, the cards, the cards. This is touching back on sort of design and storytelling. Were an absolute boon because there's a limited amount of space on them, and it forces yeah. you to be very as 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 good as you can as technically efficient with the rules part of it as you can and then as brief with the actual content uh to match it so you know between a title name and then the actions on the card and maybe a tiny slice of flavor that's all you get to describe kind of like what's happening on fighting arts you get an image which helps uh the images ended up being instructional as far as this is what what we intend for this to do are super helpful and then the disorders, again, like, there's only so much room on these mm -hmm. cards. So it makes it so you can't make these super long-winded, overcomplicated things that seem really cool. And maybe they are really cool in a vacuum, but when you add it to the rest of the complicated game, it becomes unmanageable. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's something also is, is important with, as you said, about the game design. It's the, there are many parts to the game there's different rules but they're the way they operate together if they're more complicated they don't occur too frequently to to bog the day the game down the the other bits kind of they work on the fly quite rapidly um it's uh it is tricky to get things to work that way that's for sure yeah um okay um moving on then um I believe then the dung beetle knight was you, you said before is like your favorite monster of, to have designed that you yes. were involved on that one. Um, so which one out of the new uh, family of monsters have um, have you enjoyed the most working on? Um, right now I'm finishing up another big pass on the nightmare ram. Uh, oh, okay. We found that we have dedicated playtesters every day who all they do is generate data on the game. That's it. Right. Okay. Um, and, you know, the, the, the RAM that we had um, going into the Kickstarter, I think, was made, you know, while we were doing the logistics part of the first Kickstarter and the expansions. Yeah. So it didn't, didn't have as much of a critical uh, look on it as... Um, the original content did because when we we're doing dev you know we had a playtest team back then too so we ended up with a lot of things there that needed a lot of smoothing and polishing and reflavoring so i've just been kind of on that for now um and then i'm looking forward to doing the oblivion mosquito 
Mm. And the frog dog whom I am not doing the monster programming on is actually turning out really cool. We had an early, an early design pass on him a while ago. And uh, since then, someone else on the team has, has picked it up and has really brought it forward in such a cool way. It's feeling good. And... I mean, to keep keep all the monsters seeming quite unique uh, in how they operate, um, has again like kind of like what kind of challenges have been there? Like, has it? Uh, and, and again, kind of like things. I mean, you don't want to spoil like the new monsters or anything, but you what kind of like you found kind of unique solutions for trying to keep the monsters seeming unique? Is it just looking at how to combine? Um, so the first. Certain- the first 12 expansions, I definitely felt like we stretched the game to its limit. Okay. As far as, like, you know, things you could do with just an AI deck and a hit location deck. Like, we did a lot. Um, and this new round, I think, um, there's been much more of a focus on terrain. Okay. How that changes uh, the battle and how monsters will interact sort of, like, in their unique habitats. Uh, a great example of that, and I hope this is not spoiling too much, I don't think it is, is the Screaming God fight that we're working on right now. Um, it's actually a fight where you are chasing it constantly. Right, okay. So um, we have a what's currently called, and this is early, a Horizon deck, and you draw cards from it at the beginning of the turn to see sort of like what obstructions appear on the table. Right. And those things move towards you. Okay. You that have to like move out of the way or they'll you... slam into you and you'll get right. knocked way far back. That remind that 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 sounds very much like the Kingdom Death answer to Gorka Morka's rolling road uh scenario. <laughs> uh, where your orcs in a truck and you're chasing another lot of orcs in a truck and there is terrain. Gorkamorka is like my favorite game that I never played. I played it's so good. The rule of you can carry as many boys in this truck as you can fit. If anyone falls off, they actually fall off. Yeah. So good. And yeah, the rolling road is just terrible because obviously the vehicles uh, stay in position and the train is what moves. And to, to, to go faster, obviously in Gorkamorka, you have to hit the turbo boost. If you hit the turbo boost, you might go out of control. So, your the chances of you hitting terrain as you're being chased or as you're chasing is quite high. So having that within Kingdom Death is now really interesting, <laughs> um, or at least something like that. That's going to be that'll be kind of wow. Um, it'll be great to see how that. And I think that that shows. Um, I was. Well, I was you know, it's it's definitely getting a lot of work. I think it's on its eighth iteration right now. Right. <laughs> The guy who's doing the monster program was like, boy, you know, like I think at my old company, we would have published this at iteration two or three. Like I'm <laughs> shocked at how thorough you guys are. And I was just like, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, this is, this is one thing you don't really realize as someone who's a fan that then goes into the business of what they're a fan of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always imagine that at any game studio, there's probably like, this huge room with just tables everywhere with all these playtesters constantly playing and then like exec types walking around and like checking in on everything or, you know, people just watching people playing and taking notes. Like this apparently is a rarity. It doesn't actually happen all that often. Uh, we do it here. Cause I just assume that's how it was done. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I know at Wizards they do a hell of a lot of focus testing, but I I think it's it's something that is expensive and time consuming. So it's just not done very often. Not to right. the extent that at least we do it. Cool. And even then, like, you know, you're still gonna miss things and stuff like that. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed in the Twitter feed recently, but someone asked if they could use a shield to block with um, with blood paint. Blood paint. And yeah. I was like, my first gut reaction was, I don't think so. That isn't really the intent. And then I read the card. I'm like, you know, there's nothing here that technically says you can't. Like, if I'm gonna put my game lawyer technical hat on, which you have to when you're working on a, a game of this complexity level. There's a second mm -hmm. sentence in there that says these attacks must be one after another, right? So sort of inferring that you're attacking, but it's not saying that you are. Um, so I went ahead and, you know, for now ruled, yeah, sure, you can use your shield to block. Why not? And then that led up to the, someone saying, well, what about Fisted 2? And this is where uh -huh. it got cool because someone else tweeted in, yo, of course not. That's not a piece of gear you can put on your gear grid. And then they sent a photo of the blood paint on the bottom row of the gear grid lined up next to the fist and tooth part on the sheet. <laughs> I was like, all right, you know what? Yeah, of course. That's I can't deny that. Sure, go ahead. That's too clever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was really neat, yeah. And that's something that's never come up in playtesting. I've never had any playtester or anyone be like, hey, can I put my blood paint over here and use fist and tooth with it? <laughs> so even as, as thorough as you can possibly be, like the, the, the once you open it up and people start playing it, you'll start to see new things, which is cool. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm hoping this time around we uh, have a new. The, the backbone of the website is a little bit easier for um, anyone to manage, and I'm I'm planning on moving the glossary over to it so that the glossaries each each entry is basically an editable blog post, so that we can on the fly go in and, and update things more more easily. Uh, that'll be cool. There is a living there is a living glossary right now, but it's like pretty stagnant and mm. uh, editing it would require someone going into a JSON file. And although that's not hard, it's just like not in anyone's purview except for me and Anna. Yeah. Uh, it's like let's just fix this or add an addendum. It's so much easier when it's like simple. That's one thing I, I've I've taken away from my, my world of working on websites and doing front-end dev and crap. It's just like, you know what? Whatever the simplest solution is, it's probably going to be the best because you get fancier than that, it becomes so hard to do anything. Yeah, that's that's the same same for my world of computer programming is that sometimes once the best solution often also ends up being the one that is the most compact and simple to follow. Yep, uh, and that's that's another big part of game design, especially in KD, which is not a not a simple game. Like, yeah, the, the number of ideas and mechanics will shred off of a monster before it's considered like, you know, close to being done is tremendous. <laughs> it's just like I, this is cool, but it's so complicated; it's not really worth it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James, do you want to take the next question? So, King Death is renowned for the brutality in how survivors uh, die frequently. And how how difficult has it been through uh, through kind of place testing and design to judge quite where to put that difficulty line? Very hard. And I'm going to jump into something I probably shouldn't talk about, but whatever, which is <laughs> fudging the rules and cheating. Right. Uh, we uh, in in the studio we're split. 
we make all our playtesters play by the rules and follow things as tightly as possible. But in reality, groups are going to fudge. They're going to fudge on purpose, or they're going to fudge by accident. And it's just how it goes. Um, it's a complicated game. Not everyone gets everything right. A simple misinterpretation of a rule can lead to survivors vaunting in power, no problem. Or, you know, being the type of gaming group that's sort of soft on when someone, quote-unquote, randomly dies can also mm -hmm. lead to very upsetting power balances. So what we're doing now is trying to take, and this is what we did then too, is both of these kind of gaming groups being aware of both mm -hmm. and sort of like reading forms and not so much interacting. Because once you, whenever I feel like I post on a forum, it's like dad's shown up and the party's over. No one wants to talk anymore. <laughs> so, but I do read them and I, I see what's happening and, uh, in our internal playtesting, we never had a savior live more than one or two lantern years. Like, as soon as someone would get one, they'd run it out to a fight, be extremely overconfident with it, and it would die. Yeah, but yeah, once, yeah. <laughs> once we, people started talking about how they're handling the end of the game with a party full of saviors, it's like, wait a second, like, what's happening here? <laughs> like, like, are people just min-maxing the hell out of this so completely and utterly they spend the entire game fighting level one white lions uh, breeding and hoping to build up a stockpile of saviors to handle the watcher? And the answer is yes. Like, okay. <laughs> that's, All uh, right. that's a way to play. <laughs> not, not the intense, but the game, you know, in typical game language does not really reward uh, audacity very much. It's like, mm. if you're like, that's it, let's go. We just be level two Phoenix. We're going out for level three. The game just crushes you. And it'll take yeah. all of your survivors and just unmake them. They're gone. And that's not something that I think um, gamers or a lot of gamers are like super okay with. But <laughs> I am, and I don't want that to be removed from the game. Even if the reward for bravery is not like fantastic, there still is reward. So yeah. with 1.5, we dialed up the rewards a little bit. We just made it a little more worth it in hopes that people would start to like tackle level twos and level threes like when we want them to as opposed to never yeah and then with saviors i mean they just had to take a hard nerve like that was not the intent you're supposed to have this thing and use it like a magnum round in a resident evil game not uh save them all for the last fight which is i guess what a lot of people would do in resident evil 2 anyway save all your magnum rounds to the last <laughs> fight and then you beat the last boss in like three seconds you're like oh that wasn't so bad <laughs> yeah it's uh, reminds me of playing playing rpg games and being like you can't i'm not going to use this megalix here i'm not going to use this super potion i'm not going to use all this stuff and then you end up with like all this stuff that stockpile yeah, yeah it could have made the game a heck of a lot easier or cooler or more interesting as you were playing through it um, yeah so yeah. to answer the question, we do, we do a lot, uh, and it's, it's not easy. Uh, we, when we test new monsters and we finally have it so everything is working, the next part is doing like a, a very heavy polishing pass, and that involves fighting it over and over again with different gear grids, or different survivors from different settlements. So like, all right, here's, you know, uh, uh, Gloomtown, year seven. All right, okay, here's the settlement that everyone named after chefs because the playtesters' names are Rachel and Ray. Okay. Uh, 
and then we sort of like get a, a good spectrum. It's, it's definitely a process of feeling it out. It's like what feels right, what feels too hard. Is a weak settlement at year seven still capable of beating it? Yes. Okay. Is a strong settlement at year seven just crushing it too hard? Okay. Maybe we start to adjust in different ways. Wow. So you must, so you're talking about different settlements for your testing. You must then keep a lot of documentation of settlements at different stages of progression. Yeah. We're, we're, we're it's called the database of death that we've been building the last, <laughs> last several months. Brilliant. That's great. Uh, the original settlement that made it all the way through to the end of the game was Dark Zone, and it had a <laughs> one-armed survivor with plus four strength that managed to make it all the way to the end of the game. Wow. <laughs> and all the cool. all the characters in that, I think, are named after Pokemon moves. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Uh, James, um, what's our next question, then? Um, so, yeah, next question would be uh, looking back on the development of Kingdom Death, uh, the first Kingdom Death Kickstarter, and the update to 1.5, um, which part of the game are you most happy to have updated? First thing that comes to mind are the Hunt events. The Hunt events were written before any of the expansions and before the game was, you know, finished. Mm -hmm. So it's just a tremendous amount of world building and flavor that's there that was all sort of built in, in in the infancy of our understanding of the, you know, quote unquote universe. So being able to go back through that and interject more things that we are now aware of into it was very satisfying. And getting rid of some of the ones that were just like, you know, uh, you encountered this thing, who cares? Roll on a table. All right, good or bad result, move on. Being able to go in and have the the reasons that we know in the background why things are and have it make sense to us was it felt much better hmm that's cool uh, yeah yeah the other thing was uh we that I, that I enjoyed was buffing the screaming god uh oh, screaming god screaming antelope armor set a little bit this, oh yeah the whole, the whole antelope thing was just so underused it was sort of like the one monster that was typically ignored in the core campaign hmm Okay, yeah, because it's now got the, rather than just doing knockback, you've got the kind of like uh, piercing kind of attack, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then uh, initially, you know, from our playtesting and playing it, we were like, well, you fight the antelope, you get a campus plant, Stratocampus is extremely strong, relevant to the whole game. This is probably enough, right? Mm. But it's not exciting. It's not mm. glamorous, like charge or pounces. So it was just kind of like not played. Yeah. So we, we jacked up uh, the number of resources it drops and made it a much more juicy target as far as actually spending playtime fighting it. Right. Which was, you know, satisfying to see because now all the playtesters, and then, you know, these, these, this new round of guys, they never played the original game. They started playtesting with 1.5. So to see them playing and all the grids have way more Screaming Antelope stuff in it is satisfying. Okay, cool. Instead of just level one white lines until level twos and then straight to Phoenix. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah, because the, the Antelope I, I used as the... Um, I, I, I guess I hunted it for 
a particularly kind of uh, metagaming level. Um, I often hunt the level one antelope to get a quicker route to finding a level two white lion, so I didn't have to go through a longer hunt phase. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. It was just like, I may as well fight something that, that if I want to hunt something bigger, I may as well hunt what it mostly it hunts as well. And the payoff is, well, either I get the antelope and I can go for the acanthus, or also I get a white, I could find the white lion and also get some resources when you find find it because that's the event so yeah it's um it but then i think that actually represents the ecology of the of the setting as well um, it's supposed to yeah <laughs> yeah um that's good fun right uh we're going to move on to a pretty uh, an important question because kingdom death is is uh, a very uh, well renowned game both for kickstarter for being a board game uh, for its design elements. So I'm going to just, this is how I wrote it. Um, and I just want to, you know, I have my own views on it, on how people have, uh, how in the early days, um, approached the game and the setting. And I think we're off base with it. So, um, so here we go. So Kingdom Death is a horrific setting. And yet, obviously, it has met criticism for whether it was the level of violence or the perceived, and I use the word perceived, level of sexual violence or sexism within the game. And I use perceived because that was people being quite reactionary to either the pinups or to the game without actually having read or played the game. Uh, what have you learned in dealing with, with these type of responses that have made you feel uh, that you're more aware of both how you write games and also how you kind of like you run kickstarters and so forth because my my answer to this is so unfair <laughs> go on then <laughs> it's so unfair uh but it's also you know it's one of those things that i hope it inspires people to because just our experience has been so unique and our fans have supported mm -hmm. us like beyond what i've seen anyone else's fans do it's just mind-blowing and it's like humbling all at the same time and it's almost like i feel like at this point i don't have any other choice the only choice i have and the only right answer to any of this is you have to stay true to your vision mm -hmm. you have to make what you want to make that's it like if you're even worrying about anything else then you're not doing the best job you possibly could be and when you start with that being yeah. the center and since i'm the one who i direct the sculptors and i direct all the artists it it you know resonates within them and they feel like they have a freedom that they've never had working on any other project before and the level of the art that they put out is just so much more true to themselves and you know usually not always like just the quality of it's so much higher it's just more it's more raw mm. and that's not again it's like not fair right because i answering this question is sort of like answering a question to someone who might want to start this or start their own project, right? Like, yeah. how do I start to create something while being aware of how it's perceived? And my answer mm. is ignore that. <laughs> Just make the thing that you want. And if it is desirable, and if other people want to get behind it or get involved, they will. And again, mm. totally, totally not a fair answer. I think, I think that's... It's a good answer in in the sense that because, I mean, if you do water things down, then obviously it's kind of like you, as I say, you're not. It's with miniatures and with artwork. It's. I mean, we we 
it's we get to say open to interpretation. we have an uncompromised vision that we're striving towards we get to say that and that's yeah. amazing but it's also unfair and like i certainly took my lumps and had very long uh discussions and i wouldn't i didn't have any arguments over it with various fans and people um but you know it's just at one point at a certain point i guess you just don't have to i don't even know you know what i mean like looking looking back on it art is art is art and um Hmm. sort of criticizing art and being um responsible for a community are two very different things and when you have a game yeah. you're you're mixing all these three things together yes yeah yeah so you know, i mean that's a lot of the questions that uh, go on yeah i was gonna say it's one of the challenges that comes up with um and looking back on some of the books that were done uh previously for like world of darkness because of the, the the when they were written the community of rpgs and so forth it was almost as if um they could they could be they were doing something that was quite brave and 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 looking at certain topics and back then it was quite groundbreaking because i guess the community of gamers was maybe not as mature or kind of more worldly aware whereas now i think you, you look at what white wolf is having to do and it's um they they interact with the community and they're using real world real world uh inspiration a lot that they they have a lot of challenges because yes it's art but also it is drawing directly on people's kind of like lived experiences whereas like kingdom death is it is a nightmare world it's it's that thing so um as long as you feel happy playing it and painting it then the rest is as you say it's just kind of it is art and art is challenging you only have to look at renaissance art or hieronymus bosch's art or uh geiger or bacon and and so forth and if you don't like it then maybe you don't like it because it was made to get to get a reaction as well but it's um but yeah for games it's a challenge combining all of that together with a community and listening to them <laughs> yeah it's uh wow yeah like i cool. um if i've if i have offended anyone you know, on a very personal level, I, I, I've certainly apologized. Yeah. It's not, it's not, not the intent. And there's definitely a lot of like being caught up in the moment and just going for it. And that's mm. like the, the attitude that the, <laughs> the attitude I have when it comes to creating kingdom death is very much the attitude I have while I'm playing it, which is very much the attitude I try to inject into the game, which is just kind of like a, a go for it. You only live once. Like you're never gonna have an opportunity like this again. Push, push, push. Don't give up. And that's Excellent. again, it's very fortunate and a very unfair answer to what is not <laughs> an easy question. And no, I think it's a it's a fine question because I think it's it's um it's a hot topic for any type of games design right now, be it RPGs, board games, miniatures, or uh, or even computer games and so forth. So. Um, to me, just, the game is is an experience and it's art. And yeah. my best approach to it, to stay truest to the fans that have supported us this far, is to continue to be uncompromised about it. Um, that's my answer. Will that change? I don't know. <laughs> um, right. James, do you want to take the last few questions here? Right. Okie dokie. So, um, yes. Uh, what part of the Kingdom Death world are you most excited to showcase more in the future? With this Kickstarter or things we haven't even looked at yet? 
Oh, um, <laughs> it's like you know the the Kickstarter. It's all there. You can yeah, like you look, you look through all the updates and you know if you can figure out what's a what. <laughs> There's a lot of updates. I I suppose then like if I'm if I'm going to be more specific with it, like you mentioned that there's there's a lot of you have a lot of understanding of the lore ideas of why ecologies have come up or why things go the way they go. Is there something? Is there some nice juicy nugget that you're really looking forward to expanding upon um, that you are actually willing to mention without it being big? Uh, like, I guess, like cutting straight to the heart of. I am again opposite answer here. I am <laughs> dreading getting mm. to the project that we've currently called Labyrinth, which is dealing with what the quote unquote heroes in Kingdom Death are up to. Ah. And there's a, 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 a big reason for my dread and apprehension to it. Uh, that is, uh, Monster originally was supposed to be a small game, just a game about hunting a monster and making a little culture so that I could fund the development of large monsters so that I wanted these hero-like characters to fight. Uh, the survivor was templated as just a class in uh, this other game, and it was supposed to be the more random class similar to the old Chaos Warrior from, you know, Warhammer Quest. Mm-hmm. That was, that was the, the ideas back. This is, again, like almost a decade ago at this point. Um, but things have evolved, and what I've learned from the game system we have now is it's offering us an opportunity for storytelling that is very different than, I'd say, the majority or most every other tabletop experience currently. And perhaps it's a more elegant way to you know, share time with friends with tiny men on a table than a lot of the things that are there. So it makes me reapproach this project with a bit of dread because I'm thinking, well, I know at some point I have to make this thing that I originally wanted to make because I have to, you know, like it's some sort of terrible destiny. But now that we've gone through all this development, we've made this other game, it's kind of better. (laughs) And it answers a lot of the issues I personally experienced with dungeon crawls and tabletop games in general. So Mm. now I have to rethink how this is all going to work. And then of course (laughs) there's, you know, as we continue to build and show more and more of the world, um, whatever we come out with that's canon has to be meaningful and very well thought out of. And so adding something new means looking at everything that's already there. It's not as simple as just, mm-hmm. boop, here's a thing. So it means that it's a lot of work. <laughs> but it's exciting, but it's a lot of work. And then the last part of the, the, the detail thing here is like, would we make a new system or would we use our current system? Yeah. Right? And that's like a real mind bender. But I can see, yeah, that, that's a challenge because I guess the big question is when you've got these heroes, are they, whereas Kingdom Death is, it's a monster and it's a challenge and it's a group of survivors that have to work together to kill it. A group of heroes, like a Twilight Knight, a Twilight Knight, I imagine, on his own, looks at a level one lion and just goes, meh. And. Yeah. You should be able to fight like four or five at once, right? Yeah, right. Try, so, try uh, putting that, try setting up that ship down. I have. It's a mess. <laughs> it is a mess. But then I imagine that then some of the things you've done with the new uh, expansions, where you've got like multiple monsters on the, well, at least multiple smaller monsters on the border, have been 
giving you some insight on where you want to go or, or things to try out then. So Spidiculous was internally one of our favorite fights, uh, but fan reception to it was very high. And mm. it was another one of those like, well, I guess as the game designer, I'm enjoying how complicated this is, but as a player, it's just feeling fiddly. Yeah. And I get it. And it's made me, you know, we initially were about to launch a thousand ships with minions. Like, it's way more love this. And now it's like, well, well, this, this, this realization came many, many, many months ago, but it was kind of like, well, maybe not. <laughs> the fun part is the monster, not its underlings that you're constantly having to move around the table. Right. And that's what sets our game apart from a dungeon crawl, where in, in a dungeon crawl, you're having a very, spotlight experience where each player's turn takes a tremendous amount of time and it's done 100% alone. Mm. So your time playing is a quarter of your time actually sitting at the table, which is sort yeah. of a, a design challenge to begin with, right? Uh, and then you go on to the next part, which is you are moving through small rooms, right? Mm. Uh, wherein the table is building and getting more and more complicated with stuff you ignore. Like you actually just ignore everything else, all the rooms you've gone through and continue to follow this very small spotlight of cramped encounters one after another. So yeah. unlike uh, a Euro game or where you would, or even Magic the Gathering where you build and build and build and the game gets more complexity and meaning as you go, you actually continue with the same amount of complexity the whole way through, even though you're completely physically cluttering your table. Yes. Yeah. Which is bizarre. And this is uh, an issue I have design-wise with uh, war games in, in general, too. Like, you spend a tremendous amount of time building your force and a tremendous amount of time setting up. And then once the game starts, all you do is take turns kind of removing your own units from the table. That's the majority of the game that you have interaction with is putting things on the table and then putting them away. Hmm. And yeah, I get it. You're simulating war. Sure. But from a, a pure game standpoint, like it's just just a straight downhill of no rewards. Yeah. And the uh, table loses meaning the more you play, unlike a game like uh, Go, which is also a game about war and territory control, where the longer you play, the more meaning it has. Yes, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, these are just like big design concepts that I'm, I'm chewing on constantly as I start to look towards the beyond beyond. The... Um, this round of stuff feels very much like an encore. Like we, the fans really loved what we did. Uh, let's make more. Let's polish it. Let's stick true to what it is, and put out you know the best stuff we can. It's not a reinvention of any wheel. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a really good way of of talking about one point five. Then, yeah, I can see how when you said you the original Kickstarter stretched the game to as far as you could go with them mechanics and then the this is an encore you're almost mixes between the monsters to give you new i imagine there'll be bits of some monsters that we'll recognize from other things we've seen already but it it leads to something that's a still a unique experience but it, and yeah it's... i had to have a, a design discussion with everyone telling them to stop putting grab everywhere <laughs> <laughs> it's a great one but let's move on please yeah, and I, I, I see that like with, um, I think that's why I like War Machine and Horde's war game because it's mechanically, it's very exact as a war game. There's no, there's no mucking around. Um, and it's fun to see where 
they can push the design experience of the game because also it's resource based, like the the rule system. So seeing how they've changed that with like, you've got the core war machine. I started playing that fifteen years ago. Then hordes come out and did something a bit different with the with how they manage resources, and then they bring out like. Um, uh, Convergence of Cyrus and what are they called? Um, uh, the Cephalax and so forth. And they all, the, the, the core game is still the same experience, but it's those little nuances that really change, that work to give the feel of the game. So yeah. it'll be, it's, yeah, exploring your game space and, and finding new things to showcase without just slapping on another rule book of stuff, which 40K seemed to do all the freaking time. Um, that was, uh, yeah, it's 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 I guess yeah, it's a good challenge, but uh, it'd be good to see the new monsters though. Yeah, I'm looking forward to 1.5 a lot. <laughs> so we have, um, you know, as, I, as I mentioned before, the battlefield yeah. is the biggest unknown element as far as the design space goes, and yeah. that should and hopefully um, start to change things up quite a lot. Okay, but yeah, I'm, look, I'm then looking. Then the issue is, how do we do it without overcomplicating things? As yeah. Always. What's the what's the human ramble in it? You know what? <laughs> what you go beyond the point of what everyone can keep in mind? You know you've gone too far. Mm. Cool, um, James. Uh, well, next question then. Okay, so um, yeah, Kingdom Kingdom Death. I remember watching it on the Kickstarter as the as I was um, backing the first one, and it just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and more and more money going into it, and um, the <laughs> The Kickstarter for 1.5 as well. Like he, you smashed the goals in, was it, was it was it two hours or something originally for like your your pledged goal, or at least for the the, the initial like entry thing. But anyway, so yes, um, uh, having run two successful campaigns, um, what surprised you the most, and what things had. Uh, have there been anything that has kind of, you've kind of regretted over the course of the Kickstarter campaigns? The first or the second? Like as far as it's just regret is in both. Looking back, oh, um, so, sorry. So, so like surprise, uh, surprise, good things like things that have um, popped up as you've been doing it. I mean, I, I suppose the absolute massive backing that you got and quite how many people were on on board with the vision, for example. It's terrifying, for sure. Uh, the pressure feels astronomical. It's like, oh God, <laughs> I have to, not only do I have to make this all happen, I have to not disappoint a whole lot of people who were very nice and gave us a lot of money. Um, the thing that surprised me most about the second campaign was, uh, I guess how much street cred we had. Like I was left pretty much at peace where in the first Kickstarter campaign, it felt like I was under attack from every possible angle every day. And the only time I wasn't was when I was sleeping for like mm. four or five hours. Where in the second one, like the number of direct messages that came in were shockingly low in comparison. Um, I think all the fans from the first game were just like, we're here. We just want to see what you got. Let's, 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 let's get on with it. And so since it didn't feel like I was under attack and I wasn't constantly responding to fires and crises everywhere, it let me just kind of have fun with it. Hmm. And that was super cool. Like I had the whole, whole gambler's chess thing. All that stuff was very loosely planned out before we went into it. Um, I am most comfortable creating when things are chaotic 
and I kind of just wing it. And this is much to the chagrin of the office sometimes, but that's like my, my favorite place to be. So to be able to wake up every day, hit the Kickstarter, check in on the comment section briefly, and then just wing it for the entire day, like I can make up whatever I want, was amazing. And I don't think you even get that opportunity uh, without having the first, not just the first Kickstarter under our belt, but also having well met and exceeded so many people's expectations with the delivery of the first game and its expansions. Everyone was just kind of like cool with it, which is surprising because I expected us to be on fire and under attack constantly. Yeah, I mean, I, I did. I, I spent a lot of time talking with Chris over the course of the Gambas, uh, the Gambas chest reveal, um, going back and forth with, oh my gosh, have you seen this thing? This is so cool. I am so excited. I literally cannot wait. Um, and all the little events that happened, like I felt like it was one of the most interesting Kickstarters I've followed along with. Like, I mean, I loved the first one as much as I felt very sorry for my my wallet. Because like, originally I started out and was like, yeah, sure, I suppose I'll, I'm in for a little bit. I'm in for a little bit. And then a thing would come <laughs> out and I'd be like, well, I have to kind of have the Dragon King because it's amazing. And I may, I may as well be in for this. And then I may as oh my goodness, okay, right, well, I'm just, I'm just in. Okay, I'm just in. Um, and this Kickstarter I pretty much approached with the the mindset of I just I'm yeah just put just put the money down and it's I'm sure it'll be good I'm sure it'll be good right <laughs> which is I think uh, I'll weigh a lot of of the backers felt which is amazing you know like especially the, I I got away with so many shenanigans with the gambler's chest and I was just like just having a blast I think what what shows with Kingdom Death because it's it's um, while it's taken you know it took a number of years for the final product to be delivered it's it is a high quality product that's delivered and i think that's what though it took the time it was worth it whereas i feel in in kickstarter land um what we've, we've got this golden age of board games war games and whatever i think some people for other projects have been burnt quite badly by backing certain kickstarters yeah, i mean i've i've gotten plenty of rewards in, and i've just sat there and i feel i'm slightly frustrated just like didn't you play test this? Did you try? Like this is yeah. this is your dream I'm holding here. Like what happens? Like what what went wrong? Like why is it so just like a meh? <laughs> yeah, or or it's just a company coming back to Kickstarter for their fifth or sixth of the same, essentially the same kind of thing. You're kind of like, well, why are you needing to do this? Like. I mean, it, 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 sometimes it doesn't gel when you're like, well, you, you're you're established, you've got the product there, so what's the problem? Like, why is it not selling? Why is another Kickstarter? I was joking and, with uh, David Churn and Dave, or not not David Churn. I was just joking with Churn and David Pretty at Come On when I saw them at Gen Con. I was like, I like the first Zombicide. Um, <laughs> uh, I jumped in for the second one. I like that one too, and. Then you guys tricked me with a fancy one. So why don't you just give me a nudge when one goes up that's actually different? Because I'll get it. <laughs> but I need a break, guys. Just give me a break for a little bit, please. You know, they laughed. Because to them, it's, 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 it's a business, you know? Yeah. Um, and they are very impressed uh, of what we do and our fans, where it's more about the vision and the, the, the passion of creating first, as opposed to let's make a business work. And hmm. both things are totally fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with either. 
Um, but you do have so many Kickstarters, so many. Yeah. I think cool. if there oh, was yeah. one, if I had like a notebook where I wrote all my biggest thoughts and underlined the important ones for this uh, last Kickstarter campaign, the word would be entertainment with like a bazillion underlines under it. Right. Um, that was the one takeaway I had, which was like, we as a group of backers are here to not just get a thing nowadays, but to be entertained. So how do we make this entertaining for this incredibly long time? I mean, I took a break for Christmas. I took that whole time off. I didn't work at all. Like in the middle of what is now the fourth biggest Kickstarter campaign, like that's amazing. That's because of the fans and the backers who are just like, yeah, this is going to be fine. Like my brain just, <laughs> you know, I didn't take, take the holidays off the is like 2013 14 or 15 hmm. i like stopped working on christmas day but i was checking in and checking on things constantly this year i just you know let it drop and it was almost like all part of the part of the plan it was like yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna walk away for a week and everyone's gonna slowly lose it and then when we come back we're gonna hit this as hard as we can with the last few tricks i have up our sleeve and you know everyone responded very well to it Excellent. Which is crazy. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's mental to be able to take a break like that because kickstarts from everything else I've heard from everyone is like it's a full, you know, non-stop, you know, um, train that you need to keep going and and uh, deal with anything and everything that pops up. Like I, this yeah. is a, a a character flaw that I didn't know I had until the last several years, but I am most excited on the climb. Yeah. Once I hit a plateau, I get kind of listless and start to like lose interest. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. so this Kickstarter didn't push me as hard as I thought it would. So it's weird to walk away from it with this feeling of I could have gone harder. Like I'm happy <laughs> with how it went, but it could have been more. It wasn't, you know, while the first Kickstarter was like 200% well beyond what I could handle, this one was probably only like 85, 90. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It was good. I, it means I got to sleep. You know, be honest here, like being able to sleep every night and relax a little bit probably made the whole thing much smoother anyway. Yeah. And the quality of the updates were better and all that stuff. <laughs> None of those characterful um, spelling mistakes on certain things. There were certainly spelling mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I um, reading on uh, 4chan, it was like, someone asking what's wrong you know why is everyone giving so much money to this illiterate idiot <laughs> and the answer was you pooch puts out quality products uh don't worry everything will go through copy editors as far as this kickstarter communication goes we all see it as an endearing flaw yeah it's just like wow wow <laughs> this is <a> real <laughs> thanks guys kind of moment brilliant yeah, yeah, um nice. That is but I am I am aware though that uh, you know once not once but if our quality does drop like then we are suddenly in hot water, and quality yeah. is this thing that is a terrible slope because if something is the same quality it's then just mediocre, mm. so everything needs to continue ticking up. <laughs> yeah, but I think otherwise we're in trouble, and that's crazy but exciting. That's that's that that thing about you know you hit a plateau and the question then is where do you go from there because it's quite easy for you to hit a plateau and then actually unconsciously it 
to diminishing quality. And I think that's what happened with um, Games Workshop for quite a few years. And then they've suddenly turned it around because they've rediscovered they actually make games. Um, it's, uh, yeah. They're having, they're having a very big um, fan, sort of fan-pleasing round this, this yeah. time. Yeah. Very, it's very much on purpose. And it's very conscious. Um, mm. it's, it's another strange thing is a, a few of the higher ups from Workshop have actually reached out to me just to just to chat. <laughs> Excellent. And I was described of a a roundtable meeting with Kingdom Death in the center of very a bunch of different GW execs, um, <laughs> where they decided to uh, analyze it, uh, figure out what made it successful, and to decide if there's anything worthwhile to take from it. And the answer was. This is a anomaly. Uh, following <laughs> any of the footsteps here will lead to destruction. Let's just close the door on this one, <laughs> which is super cool. That is a, a good assessment. That's an that's an interesting assessment to have. Um, and it certainly does then kind of uh, mean you've carved out your niche very well. <laughs> yeah, which is cool. And uh, you know, uh, they they uh, the, the person I was speaking to said, as long as you don't make any sci-fi war games with lots of <laughs> armored guys that look like space marines like i don't see any sort of conflict like that yeah exactly yeah <laughs> that's cool. good yeah. um okay let's move on to the last few questions and wrap this up then so uh as you said then kingdom death has a excellent fan base uh an eclectic group of collectors painters and gamers um, so, what have you, been your favorite things that you've seen from the fan base? Uh, what they've, you know, what the fan base has created for the game. So, this could be certain builds of survivors or full-on custom builds where they've, they've, you know, rooted through their bits box and they've made some monster or something for Kingdom Death, or that uses the parts from it. Or it could be some sort of app or a novel kind of way of playing the game or or campaign. I don't know. You name it. What's the, what a few I mean, things the, that the, the lantern dice towers, especially the one that got yeah. me super awesome. All of the different gear grid solutions that people have up on Shapeways, super cool. Um, seeing whenever I get to see the, the survivors get bashed together, it's always heartening because I think the armor kits were a bit they're they're at a level where it's so it's you need to be. If you're good enough to do actual kit bashing and cut parts up from other models and put them together, then you could make a very good-looking survivor. But mm. if your skill level is just, I can put this together, your survivors are gone and they'll not look that hot. There's a lot of yeah. like subtlety involved and you know shaving off joints and that sort of things, which I'm comfortable with and sort of took for granted. I think the community, not so much. So whenever I see really good survivors, I'm like super happy because people paint and post the other stuff all the time. Um, and then there's the guy who did a few of the monsters in chibi style. That was oh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> I mean, just, just, and then, uh, we have a, a fan that we see every year at Gen Con. He sent the office a gift box, including a laser cut watcher. Like it looks kind of like a cheese board. It's not though. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> That's hanging on our wall. It's just, it's so cool to see people make stuff. Um, my favorite monster that was sent to me was the Sunset Ghost, which was by someone's daughter who enjoyed watching her dad and his friends play. <laughs> uh, otherwise, it's sort of like seeing people's monsters as a tricky slope because it's like, well, this puts me in weird uh, like legal territory, so I can't really touch this. 
because that's just unfortunately the way IP law is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the anonymous survivor, which we inducted to be a formal part of KD. Um, hmm. That was pretty fun, too. Um, I'm trying to think it's of a, it's other a good, specific like, things. It's a good community because there's a few of the there's a few apps out there for like managing your settlement, and I think there some some contain everything, allow you to do any campaign that's currently published, or or you know the, all the remixes, and then some there's the one I like that it allows you to play just the core game, but it's re it works really well on the tablet, so it's it's a it's a, a good experience to have there to like log your gameplay. Um, it's things like that. I, I, you see them for other games as well. There's, um, you know, custom apps for like Guild Ball. There's a really good like app for that. So it's when you see the the community go well beyond like for a game, it's always kind of exciting. Yeah, I try to, and this this in a way sucks because it was something I was super hopeful about and looking forward to being involved in. But I think it's healthy when the community around something and that something is separate. Like I don't, mm. I don't follow up on the apps people make. Um, I don't check out the, the tabletop sim. I don't know what's in there. And it's because we need to create what we create kind of untainted and unaware of yeah. what's out there uh, mm. as opposed to trying to analyze all these different solutions people have come up with sort of uh, our record keeping shenanigans, right? And then trying to solve that because we're we're not uh, we're not an app developing company. We're a game developing company, and I, I don't want to make the best Kingdom Death website or Kingdom Death uh, stat tracker out there. I want to make the best fourteen, sixteen new expansions we can. And it was sort yeah. of it's kind of a almost like a disheartening moment when I was like, I have to just walk away from all this stuff so I can focus on the things that will move us forward and the community is going to do what the community wants, you know? Mm. And so I, I, I kind of just turn, turn a, a blonde eye to all the stuff that's going there and going on. And if the, you know, I see the paintings and stuff people submit through Twitter and that's awesome. But as far as the apps go, I, I just, I don't know. I don't mm. really know what's out there. And I think I'm going to intentionally leave myself in the dark for the time being. Maybe once we get through this development cycle, I'll be able to kind of stick my head out from the dirt and check it out again. Cool. But it's like a whole another long-winded project. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. There's, I the the, the so, resources do you need, and, and it's to get it to get it again working per perfectly for everything you've produced. So it gives you all every... I can really say is like awesome. Keep it up, please. Don't steal our IP. Yay. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, James, is that? everything or we got anything left to ask any final comments or questions very brief ones so one of the things that you know we, we may have covered in parts also been talking is i um i always love the design process sometimes where i come up with an idea and i need to figure out a thing to go to fit the idea into the world um or vice versa like do you do you do you always have you mentioned like you having monster or ideas for like the overarching theme and working down? Do you ever have an idea for like you really want this invasion in and working up? Like, have there been any uh, any monsters that kind of work designed up rather than down? Yes. I mean, Dung Beetle Knight was I really want to put a Dung Beetle Knight monster into this game, so it started knowing that for sure yeah. before 
anything else happened. Like, I don't, I think as far as the design and creative process goes, it's, it's changing constantly. Yeah. You know, there are some pieces of artwork that are, I kid you not, a broken sentence from me to an artist and that's it. And then there are others that go back and forth like upwards of 10, 12, 14, 15 times before it, it comes out right. It's a very much a feel out process that's changing constantly. Um, mm. I don't, I don't have like, again, there's that, that women chaos element, right? Like I don't have much structure at all uh, when it yeah. comes to creation. I'm constantly changing notebooks. I'm changing programs I work in. <laughs> But, you know, there'll be a month where I use my drawing tablet, a month where I don't, another month where I'm constantly drawing on the iPad, and then another month where I'm back to drawing with the mouse. Hmm. It's just, I don't know. Um, it's kind of like, I guess you could compare it to uh, mining in a way where you have, you know you want to get some of these rare idea nuggets, and you're not exactly sure where they are, so you're just kind of like blindly chipping around for a while, and filling up your cart with rubble, which eventually needs to be moved down the track and disposed. But then once you have an idea of where a vein is, you start to follow it and then it gets exciting. And mm. these things sort of like lead into each other and you don't know like when when idea nugget is gonna lead to a bunch of them. Um, <laughs> Anna uh, calls them raisins. It's a, uh, a, a, a Russian or Ukrainian term for like something that's kind of like an idea raisin. It's like the, there's no real word for it in English. Mm. It's kind of like the thing that you'll find, and it doesn't matter when you find it, whether you start with it or you end up getting to it, but then everything is based around it, right? Like the raisin yeah. for the flower night, which she was the monster programmer on, was the fairy ring, mm. right? Yeah. And that's kind of like everything. Once, once she figured out that, everything kind of like flowed around it. And the raisin for the phoenix is, you know, it manipulates time, but not so much that it manipulates time, but that the way it does that to survivors is by aging them. Hmm. And then everything's based around that. Uh, the dumb and I, you know, was, I want this thing to have this ball. How do we make this work? Which was hard, but then allows you to do cool things like slam a survivor into it and kick it across the board. So everyone has to go scrambling to rescue them. Hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, I wish I had more of a, a streamlined process or a, a development cycle I could share. I just maybe that's the. I, I think. I think it like does. It's always interesting. I do think like being able to pursue those ideas as you as you mentioned before. You know, you get to be true to yourself when pursuing and like uh, pursuing what you want to put in. Whether you whether it is that you really want to put a dung beetle in, or whether you want to start from here or start from there or come up with an idea there's there's something nice that being in games development often you are already like lots of things are all uh, well for, for video games development for myself uh, or my perspective um you often have a very defined idea of what you are able or the space that you are able to design into right um and yeah to be able to we don't often have the, the freedom to sit down and go yeah yeah it'd be nice to do this or that or the other no, more, um, more like, what's the most ridiculous thing you can think of? Okay, let's do that. Um, yeah, it's very, again, it's very fortunate. Very, it's a kingdom. I've had a few people who really wanted to be um, writers for Kingdom Death, but not like, I write what you want, like, I write what I want, and then we make that. And I had to kind of explain, I'm like, well, 
there's kind of only one creator here, and it's me. You might spent a tremendous amount of time and energy making it so I have this platform that I can just continue to make up whatever I want. And I'm not ready to share that completely yet. <laughs> mm. Eventually, I'm sure it'll dry up. But for now, like, I'm really into it, and it's it's definitely it's definitely a bit selfish. Um, not to say that I don't welcome and adore the ideas that uh, our different teammates and stuff come up with. That's not true. But the the big broad strokes are all me, you know, mm. and I, I get to do that, which is good because it keeps the world unified because it's one vision. But it's it's definitely not the way a lot of different creative companies are run. Yeah, you're not creating by committee, which and and in a systematic way, which could mean you just have stuff that ends up looking like someone else's product because they're trying to tick the boxes of what makes something sell right. to a particular it's demographic or so forth. One excited yeah. creator trying to excite the other creators on the team and then taking mm. taking the ideas that you know uh, I think are the best and reincorporating it back into the singular vision. Yeah, yeah. So it cool. all goes back through that filter. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are. This has been. We're we're at the end of questions. Really, uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. We've gone through a lot of stuff which I hope people haven't heard before, um, and they can take something from this. Whether they're making their own games or they've just learned more about Kingdom Death, or they've gone, oh wow, I really do need to get it because those videos weren't enough, and now I am really wanting to get hold of it at some point once it's finally available in some in some uh retail way which uh but that, that's gonna have to wait until some stuff is shipped out because 1.5 is on the horizon to coming to backers that's for certain um is there anything last to say adam uh where people can get hold of you and contact you and find out the latest news of kingdom death when we post uh any news related to the kickstarter on kickstarter and then whenever we have a sale, we put out a newsletter, which also has most recent news. Um, people are always welcome to just email me directly. That's kind of the easiest way to handle it. Yeah. That's just adam.poots at kingdomdeath.com. Um, yeah, I guess. And Kingdom Death, and I guess kingdomdeath.com, go there, and that's where the, you can sign up to the newsletter and, and uh, get the latest info. Yeah. Big thank you to, to you guys for putting this together. Thanks again, Chris, for doing the... the the gameplay with the Beast of War guys. Uh, big thank you to my partner and the team for, you know, probably keeping what whatever madness I have under control, so we can continue functioning as a company. <laughs> and uh, a big thank you to you know all the fans so far. And again, my my one big piece of advice and my takeaway from all of this is just you gotta be be true to yourself. If there's if, you know, um, what was that that. Uh, Super cheesy line in Gurren Lagan. Don't believe in yourself. Believe in me. Who believes in you? <laughs> and that's just so amazing. And you know what? In a way, like I, I believe. Like if you don't, if you don't believe in yourself and your creative vision, I believe in you. So don't even worry about it and just do it. Yeah. Cool. Um, and everyone who's listening to the show, you can obviously catch up on other stuff uh, at, uh, you can either email us at darkdaysradio.com. Uh, we have a Facebook group. We have a Google Plus group. We're at, uh, on Twitter at Darker Days Radio. Um, and uh, we have a blog where I think once 1.5 is hit, uh, I will have uh, the write-ups of my own campaign playthrough. 
Uh, and James, I guess if there's anything review-wise for games, it'd be nice to get some more content on the, on there. So feel free to put anything new as well. Um, that is it. So uh, thank you again, Adam and James, for uh, for talking about Kingdom Death and James for co-hosting. And that is everything. So uh, good night. Thank you.